Let's bless him and love him. Is he worthy today? Do you believe he's worthy? Thank you, Lord. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen and amen. Pastor Trevor, if you would just step out and remind everybody first word is starting. And if you all would stand with me who are here and those online, thank you for tuning in. I'm going to direct your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading at verse 6. <clears throat> 1 Peter 2 verse 6. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And for just a few minutes, I'm going to preach, teach on this subject. Believing makes the difference. Praise God. Can we put our voices up to the Lord and go to him in prayer and ask him today to minister? Lord Jesus this is your church, not mine, not ours. You and your word alone is the only thing that can save, deliver, and heal. You know every situation, every person, every struggle, every trial, every issue, every core fear and belief, God. So your word is anointed and appointed for this moment and this time. And on the authority of your word and your name, Jesus, I bind every spirit of hindrance and loose your holy anointing. Without you, we are nothing so let there be a demonstration of your spirit and your power. Confirm your words with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit and not in my flesh, saying only what you want me to say and nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. I, I, it is no surprise to hear me say these words. Society is in a tailspin out of control. And one of the major crises today that we are facing is that over identity. According to a recent Google search I did, there are 107 different genders by which you can identify yourself, one of them being non-gender or nothing. Yet despite all that is said, despite all that is believed, Scripture is clear, there's only two male and female. Now, this relates to our scripture passage today because we see two choices. One leads to heaven, the other to hell. In 2011, hip-hop star Drake coined the catchphrase, you only live once or YOLO. It became popular through music and internet and books and TV shows and graffiti and tattoos and merchandise. In 2014, YOLO was added to urban dictionaries, meaning 
enjoying life to its fullest because you only live once. But that's not what God's Word teaches. God's Word teaches you will spend eternity with or without Him. The choice is yours. So I say today, please choose wisely because you only live forever. Shannon and I teach our Gottman group, and some of you are in here that attend that or have attended it. There are two types of couples, the masters and the disasters. And it's pretty simple to figure out which group is which. The, the masters are those couples that take the seven principles and work on their marriages. The disasters don't care and become a disaster. I'm bringing up all these elements of one or the other because it's relevant to what I'm going to be preaching today. And we see in what the scriptures I read, it's revealing those who believe versus those who disobey. Believers are blessed and the disobedient are damned. Mark 16 and 16 presents the same exact principle in which Jesus says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. It's why Bishop Johnny James would say in that verse, there's a saved bee and a damned bee. Which bee are you going to be? You see, those who believe, and this is coming from both Mark 16 as well as 1 Peter 2.6, the, the word believe there means absolute trust in God, obeying His word. It's not just simple belief. It's not just the words I believe, but rather it is active belief, obedient faith, as some may call it. But those who do not believe, again, Mark 16, 16, he that believes not, 1 Peter 2, 7, the disobedient, those are the same Greek words, and it means this, refusing to be faithful, rejecting the truth. And so again, I repeat, you will spend eternity with or without God, and the choice is yours. So please choose wisely. You only live forever. Why is it vitally wise to choose to believe? What are some of the benefits of believing? What difference does believing make? Well, for these questions and more, stay tuned throughout the message. In fact, you might even be able to subtitle this today, Two Choices. Let me talk about alignment for a minute. Anybody ever had a vehicle that needed to get aligned? Anybody ever have that steering wheel and you take your hands off and it veers one way or the other and you're like, man, i got to take this in the shop because it is out of alignment, right? And you go in and you get the alignment and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I can take my hands off the wheel and just, look, mom, no hands. Woo, this car just drives straight, right? Feels good to have it on. Did you know alignment... Uh, keeps your tires lasting longer. This is not a plug for Tires Plus or any other, you know, company right now, you know, Jensen or anything else. It's just a, it, it, it drives better. You get better fuel economy, you know. Well, did you know spiritual alignment's the same thing? Mm. Hallelujah. Look at verse 6 with me. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. In, in construction in ancient Israel, the significance of a chief cornerstone was essential 
to the success of the building. Everything was aligned by and from and to the chief cornerstone. It was, everything was measured from that. It, it was there to provide alignment to the whole building. So without the cornerstone, the building was unsafe. Jesus came to bring alignment. I want you to think about these words, and you're probably familiar with them if you've read the Gospels. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus wasn't preaching a new doctrine Jesus wasn't coming in with some radicalized revolutionary message. He was saying, my intent originally, you got away from it. So you believe this thing, but I've got to bring you back to the intent of what it was said in the first place. They had got to a place where they were worshiping the temple so much that it became an idol to them. Just like any other false god or idol Jesus said over and again I've not come to destroy the law but rather to fulfill when he walked with the disciples on the Emmaus road he opened up the Psalms and he opened up the prophets and he opened up from Moses the law and he showed them how that he fulfilled it what he was doing was bringing Israel into alignment in that same vein I've come to preach today that we need Jesus to perform an alignment on our souls. When you believe and obey God's word, Jesus Christ becomes your chief cornerstone, bringing you into alignment with his perfect will. That's why Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And watch, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't prove the will of God. You can't come into the alignment with God until you first die. Ah, hear me. You've got to be able to pray like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. You've got to be able to say your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. But you can't pray that if you're holding on to your will. You can't pray that if you're holding on to your own kingdom. God will not be an afterthought in your life. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And so God is coming to bring alignment. Did you know that's what the preaching and teaching is for? It, this is not just tradition. This is not just some sort of catechism or, or you know, liturgical uh, element of our service or methodology. This is bringing us into alignment with His Word. That's why it's important to study His Bible. Did you know the best Bible is the studied Bible, not necessarily any study Bible? I have a lot of study Bibles on my shelf. But the best Bible is the one studied. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A work that needs not be ashamed. 
I know that's to Timothy, and we often call those the pastoral epistles, but that's for everybody because all Scripture is given, and I believe it's given to everyone. All of us need to be students of the Scripture. You see, I want God to align my spirit. Here's why. I would much rather suffer the risk of some sort of embarrassment here if you figure out what my problem or sin or mistake or issue, I would much rather be embarrassed by you knowing and suffer that embarrassment than to stand before him and hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. Amen? Well, and so I want God to do an alignment in my spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. If there's something wrong, that, that prayer I just prayed, I just said it was from Psalm 19. Lord, if there's presumptuous sins, if there's secret faults inside of me, oh God, bring them to the light of your glory and burn them out so that I can stand before you pure and holy and blameless. Amen? So, we need to make sure that we're in alignment with God because believing makes the difference. Again, to believe, that's in Mark 16 and 1 Peter 2.6, it's to put our absolute trust in God, obeying his word. But to believe not, Mark 16 or 1 Peter 2.7, to be disobedient is to refuse to be faithful, rejecting his truth. Let me talk about honor and shame for just a minute. 1 Peter 2 verse 7. Eight. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which also they were appointed. There's honor and shame here. There's, there's again, two choices. There's one or the other. There's, there's not a third choice. There's not a in between, a little bit of both. It's, it's one or the other. And so to obedient believers, to those who hear his word, obey it, practice it, live it, he's precious. Precious means valued and valuable. That's important because to the disobedient rejectors of truth, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's important to understand that the phrase at the end of verse 8, it says, to which also they were appointed, is not implying predestination like you're damned, you're damned, you're saved, you're saved, you're damned. It's not some sort of lottery, if you will, where God is pulling out your social security number. Okay, well, you're saved. Okay, oh, this number is damned. It's not that. It's not appointed in that sense. It means there is an appointed end awaiting you either way you choose. So, for example, if to my right is blessing and Jeremy's, Pastor Jeremy's saxophone is the blessing of God and he is precious to me and beautiful to me. And then over here, if, if the keyboard is a bad choice and I'm disobedient and I'm unfaithful to God and I reject his truth, there's an appointed end either direction I go. If I start going this direction, there's an appointed end. It doesn't mean I'm appointed to death 
as in predestined, it means if I keep going this direction, I'm going to eventually wind up at that appointed end. But the same is true this way. If I turn this way and keep walking to that which is precious, that which is valuable, that which is pure, I'll eventually end up at that appointed end. That's what it's saying there. Here's the good part. If I'm on this path, I can be shaken. I can be awakened and say, I don't want to walk this way. No, that way's better. I know it's narrow. I know it's difficult, but I want to walk this way. Here's the sad part. If I'm walking this way, I can also turn and go the other way. You see, it's my choice. I get to choose where I will spend eternity. You know what's beautiful about the cross? The cross of Jesus Christ represents the place where God's absolute hatred for sin meets his absolute love for souls. And with every lash of that whip on his back, that clash happens where hatred of sin and love of souls meets with every pounding of the nail into his hands and feet. With every time he rubs his back up against that cross to, to try to force himself up to gasp for air. Every uh, labored breath that he takes, uh, that clash where his hatred for sin and his love for souls meets. And we know it because the three that are there, Jesus and the two thieves, are close enough to have a conversation. The two thieves originally rail on him. But one of them realizes, wait a minute. We're getting what we deserve, but he's innocent. And he repents. And he says, remember me when you come into paradise. He's still under the old covenant. The new covenant hasn't happened yet. The, the testator, the mediator has to die. Jesus hadn't died yet. They're still under the old covenant. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. Under the old covenant, you needed a repentant heart. You needed a sacrifice, and you needed a high priest. Well, he had the repentant heart, and Jesus just happened to be the high priest and the lamb taking away the sin of the world. He had everything he needed to be saved under the old covenant. But here's what's interesting. Within earshot is another thief that could have also repented and been in paradise. And I'm going to say something that may shock you, but it's true. Jesus loved one enough to let him decide to go to paradise, and he loved the other enough to let him decide to go to hell. That's sobering. That may be hard for you to wrap your mind around, but the fact is this. God won't force you to love him any more than he'll force you to hate him. And so... To those who believe, he's precious, he's valued, and valuable. You see, this element of precious implies you've paid the price. You're like the man who sold everything to buy the field because the treasure was in the field. You're like the one who recognized this is the pearl of great price and sells everything to buy it. It's valued 
and valuable to you. It also means that you know and appreciate the price he paid to become your chief cornerstone. You recognize that while no human has ever become God, God became human so that we could become his righteousness. And so that God is precious means you recognize that he became your sin so that you could be reconciled and become his righteousness. You know, I wonder when Peter was writing this, if he didn't feel a certain sense of that personal experience he had had. Maybe he remembered, and Luke 5, 8 records it, where he says to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, when Jesus calls him. Maybe he remembers as he's writing these words, that moment when Jesus called him to be a disciple. Maybe he remembers when he appointed him to be an apostle. Maybe he struggles for just a moment and weeps as he remembers denying him three times, but yet being forgiven. Maybe he remembers saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And undoubtedly at this point in his life, Peter's realizing, you know what? He's precious to me. I've not always been good to him. I've not always been precious to him. I've not always loved him back, but he loved me. He reached for me. He forgave me. Hallelujah. If you were to read into 2 Peter, you would realize that he's nearing the end of his life because he refers to Jesus' words to him that when he's old, he'll be carried away and and basically crucified. And History bears out that Peter wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified upright like Jesus was. But yet he went to that martyr's death. He had denied him one time. He wasn't going to deny him again. Amen. So I have no doubt that when Peter write to them who believe, he is precious. I got to believe for just a moment he paused and said, yes, you're precious to me. Oh, God, I love you. Thank you for coming in flesh, dying for my sins. And see, I have no doubt because many of you are feeling what I'm preaching. You're feeling what Peter's writing here. He's valued to you. He's valuable to you. He's above everything else. Let the economy tank. He's your provider. Let other things happen. He's valuable and and valued to you. Hallelujah. You can remember what it's like to be forgiven. You can recall the infilling of his spirit. And so to you who believe and obey, Jesus is precious. And oh, how I wish there wasn't a conjunction in verse 7. Yet there is. It says, but to those who disbelieve. Again, that means to reject the truth. To those who disbelieve, the same Jesus, the same cornerstone, the same valued and valuable precious stone becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The, the complete Jewish Bible translate the, translates it this way. A stone that will make people stumble, a rock over which they will trip. Peter is quoting from Isaiah 8, verses 14 and 15 here, where the context is revealing that Israel has trusted in their idols instead of the one true God, and therefore they've stumbled over the only one who could deliver them. They were trapped and enslaved then by their foreign enemies. That's the sense of stumbling and tripping into it. 
The context in the New Testament is that if God is not precious to you, you'll trip over Him while going after the temporal pleasures of sin that overpromise and underdeliver. It's interesting to me that Hebrews 11.25 says that the pleasures of sin are for a season, but David in Psalm 16 said, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, it comes down to making the decision, do I want the temporal pleasures of a single season, or do I want to wait for the pleasures forevermore in eternity? Hallelujah. Hebrews 11, 24 and 27, Moses calls upon Israel to choose between life and death because he had already made that choice. Listen to what he says here. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures uh, in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He was looking to that eternal element. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Amen. Remember Moses when you make your choice to either believe or disobey. When you choose what and whom to believe, please do so with eternity in mind. You'll either be saved or damned. So please choose wisely. You only live forever. Jesus said these words, both Matthew and Luke recorded. It's, I'm going to read from Luke in honor of our good brother Luke today. Luke 20, 17, 18. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Falling on the stone, falling on Jesus, falling on the rock is repentance. I need my pride to be broken. I need my will to be broken. I need my sin to be broken. And so if I fall on him, I'm broken. But if he falls on me, I'm crushed and ground to powder. Again, two choices. Choose wisely. Now for the record, I didn't like the other conjunction in Verse 7 and 8 there. But there's another one coming that I really like, this conjunction. Verse 9. But. I'm glad there's a but God every once in a while. I'm glad there's a positive every once in a while. Amen. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Peter writes with the confidence that those who will read his epistle, including you and I today, have chosen to believe and obey. We know there's a path that leads to destruction, but we know there's a path that leads to life eternal. And because they have chosen wisely, he reminds them, you belong to God. You are his purchased property. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that he chose me. 
I'm thankful that he bought me with his blood. I'm thankful that he died for me. I'm thankful that he paid the price on Calvary's hill so that I could be saved. I can't atone for my sin, but he can. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so he says you're a chosen generation. This means to be the elect or born again. You're a royal priesthood. That means you have kingdom purpose with God. A holy nation. This means that which is holy unto the Lord. You are the Israel of God. And his own special people means literally purchased by his blood. So here's what's so amazing about grace. Is that God's mercy allows you to choose your eternal destiny. Therefore, since you'll live forever, choose wisely. In 2021, I published the first volume of a nine-part series of the Psalms, and I titled that first book, Two Choices. Because as I worked on it, I realized the, the many times throughout those first, I think, 20 or 21 Psalms, that the theme of two choices kept coming up. As I began to recognize that, I also realized that the whole Bible is that way. You can either eat the fruit or not eat the fruit. You can either be Abel bringing a sacrifice that's acceptable to the Lord, or you can be Cain who brings vegetables and kills your brother. On and on the list goes, and I'm like, oh, my word. Moses, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. We see it in Joshua. <laughs> on and on and on. You see, there's two paths. There's two choices. Two ways to live. And specifically, if you were to read Psalm 1, you would notice that it opens with the word blessed and it closes with the word perish. The final verse of Psalm 1 reveals the vast dichotomy between the two choices and the difference between being blessed or cursed. Those who choose the way of righteous, of the righteous, are known by God and enjoy a genuine relationship with Him. Those who choose the way of the ungodly perish, revealing their lack of a relationship with God. You see, it's important to start right, to start strong. It's also vitally important to finish faithful. Jesus Christ has made a way. He is the way of escape. And every one of us are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, but we don't have to die in sin. <laughs> Here's the problem. Jesus died for our sin, but not enough people are dying to their sin. You know what saddens me the most? Is that Jesus died for the whole world. But not everyone will be saved. Oh, I wish it were different. I wish it were so. I've been baffling lately over that scripture that Jesus said, many are called but few are chosen. I'm going to be bringing that out in some later messages in this series in 1 Peter. But just give you a little sneak preview for a minute. Many are called, but few are chosen. 
And then I got to thinking, well, wait a minute. In the book of Revelation, it says that those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. I'm like, well, hold on. Wait a minute. When you're called, few are chosen. It's kind of giving an indication that it's one or the other. But then over here, it's called, chosen. And I got to look at it. It's the same exact Greek words. Called there is called here. Chosen there is chosen here. And, but then Revelation, John adds the word faithful. I'm like, wait a minute. What, what's going on? And it dawned on me. Here's what it is. If you remember a few weeks ago, I showed you, and I was standing over here, and I said, this represents justification. It represents that place where I'm called. It represents that place where I'm born again. Everybody loves that. There's a, there's a predominant Pentecostalism element in our world today where people love to be saved by speaking in tongues and baptizing in Jesus' name. But then... There's that chosen part where you begin to walk like him and act like him and look like him and think like him. And that's that sanctification element. That's, that's being chosen. And a lot of people get off the bus there. Ain't nobody going to tell me how to live. And that's legalism. But those who are called and chosen will become faithful. And that's what we're seeing here. And that's what this message is, is getting to. You can either choose the way of the righteous or you can choose the way of the ungodly. <laughs> wow. I don't have to die in my sin because he died for it. He paid the penalty so that I could live. And so it comes down to life or death, heaven or hell, blessing or cursing, Almighty God or Baal, the narrow way or the broad way. The Bible is replete with a clarion call to choose between one of two ways. So, will you join Joshua and serve the Lord faithfully? Or will you join Demas and forsake the eternal weight of glory for the temporal pleasure of sin? I would imagine that if today we could have a Zoom call into hell, I would imagine there would be a number of people who would say, please, just like the rich man, go tell my brothers, please don't come to this awful place. I imagine one after another would get in front of that camera and say, please, please don't come. Please do what it takes. I made the wrong choice. Please make the right one. I'm also further convinced if we could reach in to the grave where our loved ones lay waiting for the sound of the trumpet and somehow, like Samuel came back for a moment to talk to Saul, we could bring them up on a Zoom call and put it on the screen. They would tell you, oh, make the right choice. I'm resting in the peace of God. I'm waiting to hear the trumpet. Oh, come on, make the right choice. Do the right thing. I believe if somehow we could talk to the last person that drowned in the flood, they would say, oh, would to God I would have got on that ark. I believe as well, if we could talk to Noah today, he would tell you, I'm thankful my wife got on. I'm thankful my kids got on. I'm thankful they were there, but I wish more would have got on. You see, while some... See Genesis 6, 7, and 8 as the judgment of God. 
I see it as the mercy of his judgment. Because he made a way of escape. You read the Bible. There's about 400 prophecies that prophesy his first coming. I originally thought there was about 3,200, but I was talking to Luke at the beginning of summer. And how many did you tell me there were that the brother Hoffman had found? It was in the multiples, like 15, 20,000, something like that. That this brother from his church, his assistant pastor, I believe it is, has found in, in, the, in the tens of thousands. I can't remember if it was 15 or 25, but it's a large number, more than I thought, that deal with the second coming. And almost all of those point out to the apocalyptic wrath of God. Who can endure his indignation? Verses like that. And yet in the, in the midst of all that judgment, there's mercy. Because those who have been born again will hear the trumpet sound and be saved. You see, there really comes down to the question, is there really a choice after all? Moses said, behold, I set before you life and death, blessing, cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your seed may live. Who doesn't want to live themselves and their children and grandchildren to live? Sadly, there are those who deny and betray and fall away, but you don't have to be one of them. If you were to go to the Cathedral of Milan, you would notice that over the triple doorways entering into that beautiful edifice are three inscriptions spanning the splendid arches. On the one side, there's a beautiful wreath of roses carved in the top. And underneath is these words, all that which pleases is but for a moment. On the other arch is a sculptured cross and the words, all that which troubles is but for a moment. But underneath the great and grand central entrance to the main aisle of that cathedral, is the inscription, that only is important, which is eternal. Hmm. This world, all of its goods, this government, our money, all that we work hard for, pay for, live for, bucket list, dream for, all Will perish but they that do the will of the Lord will abide forever <laughs> so what's so amazing about grace it's that God allows you to choose your eternal destiny I can imagine as Jesus hung there Blood dripping from every possible part of his body. Tears streaming down his face. I can see him looking over that other thief. Just ask me. He's probably thinking in his mind, and this is just me preaching for a minute. Just ask me. This one asked me, if, if you do it, if you repent, I'll forgive you too. You know why I know that? Because one of the last things he says is, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I believe that's why the centurion standing there said, Oh, truly, 
This was the Son of God. And so today, I present to you two choices, and that believing makes the difference. Which choice will you make? Let's stand together. Jesus, I've delivered your word as you have delivered it to me. Now I pray it resonates within our hearts. And as we go into our worship in just a few minutes, God, we would make the right choice. That God, we would pray for those who are lost without you, that they too would make the right choice. And that we would also pray for those who are prodigals to make the right choice. And that, Lord, we would weigh the beautiful weight of glory against the temporal weight of our trials, troubles, and even the pleasures of sin. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. I know this is a heavy message to get ready to go have a break on. And if you want to pray for a little bit, by all means, take some time to pray. You can even come around these altars. But I'll see you after the break. In Jesus' name, God bless you.